0: You are now listening to the Autoimmune Doc Podcast with Dr. Taylor Crick. Dr. Taylor is an expert in helping those suffering with autoimmune disease, and he himself has autoimmune disease. Autoimmunity is rampant today. The purpose of this podcast is to educate about the underlying causes and natural solutions to halt autoimmune disease progression. This podcast is for educational purposes only and is not intended as medical advice. For more information from Dr. Taylor, visit www.autoimmuneeducationacademy.com. Without further ado, here's your host, Dr. Taylor Crick. Welcome to the Autoimmune Doc Podcast. This is your host, Dr. Taylor Crick. I love explaining the underlying mechanisms behind autoimmunity and chronic disease. For more information, you can check out our website at autoimmuneeducationacademy.com. You can check out my YouTube channel. Uh, One is under my clinic's name, Wash Wellness Center, Washington Wellness Center. Um, And then there's a new one that's Autoimmune Doc um that I'm starting to upload study reviews to and especially literature reviews of things that are associated with this show find us on Instagram we have an email list uh all those things so this is my first podcast in a while I've said that a couple times you know I'm I do get a little sporadic this is not my my job you know my job is is helping you guys and and seeing patients uh and so I've been really busy I've been really really busy so um Excited to record tonight's episode and I'm going to try to get a couple done um, tonight and in the next week and so start to, you know, get ahead of this again. Um, but tonight, you know, carrying on the last two conversations. The last two conversations were about pathogens and autoimmunity and infections and autoimmunity. Um, and so tonight, I want to talk about the big three. So the big three, the most famous three, the most problematic three, arguably, uh, are mold, lime, and Epstein Barr virus, so uh, for sure the most famous three, um, and yeah, there's just there's a lot of there's a lot of controversy, there's a lot of question about you know causation versus correlation, and there's a lot of science about about association as well, you know, with all of these. So I I think that it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. So let me just go right into it. So first off, I got a ton of notes. There's a ton of papers that I that I have you know, that I that I have available, that I've read. And it just, you know, at some point, you just start drowning in info. Um, there's also things that I see clinically. There's also personal opinions that I have about these things. So I'm just going to kind of probably ramble about this. But I am going off my notes and I'm going in order. Um, but yeah, so first off, you know, all three are bad. Uh, but I'm going to talk about each one, and I'm going to end on the worst one that I personally feel is the most important. Uh, there are a lot of clinicians out there that might disagree with what I would say. There's a lot that would agree, will agree with what I'd say. And I think that an unbiased uh, clinician will agree with what I say. And, and what I mean is that there are a lot of people in this space that that you know think that everything is lime or everything is mercury or heavy metals or... Or that everything is Epstein-Barr or that everything is mold. And I don't think that any of that is true. But I think that when you approach this unbiased, one of these is is more heavily associated with and some of the others are a little more more speculative. So um, there is a lot of association with, with autoimmunity with these pathogens, meaning in the literature. Um, so there's a lot of science behind this. But is it causative? I don't know. And sometimes the answer is yes, and sometimes the answer is no. But I want to go back to kind of the highlight of the last couple episodes. Where we're talking about pathogens, and especially two episodes ago, we're talking about the 10 principles that summarize the relationship between pathogens and autoimmunity. And it said the highlight of that episode was that it is a total body, total burden of infections from childhood and not necessarily one pathogen. So in general, it's very rarely one thing that causes autoimmune disease, but it can be one straw that breaks the camel's back. So there is, you know, association of EBV infection and then autoimmune symptoms following. There is association of, you know, tick bite and Lyme disease and autoimmune symptoms following, certainly, certainly with mold as well. But there's also sometimes that when they look in autoimmune populations, they'll just show that people with autoimmune disease have higher antibodies to these things too. So they can't say that one necessarily caused the other, but it's associated. So there's a lot of speculation to this. There's also a lot of other pathogens. Uh, again, going back to some of the past episodes, I've, I've talked about some of those, I've listed some of those. And these, again, are the most famous. And, and right now, obviously, there's one that's really, really famous um in the news you know you know what i'm talking about covid is is a real big deal and i would say that you know covid is rapidly becoming one of the the big three you know it's it's dubbed the autoimmune virus but again what i tell people too with covid is that it's it's just very famous right now also it is very scary don't get me wrong but if we put influenza under the same type of microscope, it would be horrifying. Influenza is very, very scary, can lead to autoimmunity, has killed millions and millions and millions of people. It's just been around for a long time, so it's not quite as novel. So these three are are very famous also. But let's go into them. So first one is EBV, the Epstein-Barr virus. So this is the the virus that causes Mono, and I would say that you know there's certain things about EBV that I've always known, like that it always ca- it causes mono. <laughs> uh, maybe that was it, um, and that it affected the spleen, and that you know my friends that had it had to sit out from football because if they got hit, you know that it would it would burst their spleen, and that they got really really fatigued and tired. But then you hear a lot about it in the alternative medicine space, in the functional medicine space, alternative wellness space. And it's interesting when you start studying like some of the facts about it. So ninety percent, ninety percent of people carry Epstein Barr virus, and ninety percent of people don't have autoimmune disease. So that alone is one argument, uh, you know, with this in this conversation. But ninety percent of people carry, and what's interesting is that most people worldwide get it in childhood, and they don't get mono. So if you get it early enough, you never get infectious mononucleosis. You never get fatigued, feel like you got hit by a truck. And so then you just carry it for the rest of your life. And it lies dormant. And, and so that's the thing is that it can be reactivated. And that's when it could become a big problem in adulthood. And that's, again, where there's also a lot of controversy of like, is it reactivated, is it not, which labs can show us, um, yeah, things like that, it can also become citrullinated, so citrullinated EBV, what that means is that it basically changes the structure, citrullination changes the structure of the, the protein homology, and, and and then that can develop like new antibodies against citrullinated ebv that can also be associated with autoimmunity it can it can reactivate and then the biggest problem with ebv2 is that it lies dormant in b cells in immune cells so not like in your lips like a herpes simplex virus or in your genitals like genital herpes or in the dorsal root ganglion like a shingles virus Um, it, it lies dormant in an immune cell so when it does react, reactivate, it becomes a big problem. So, you know, it is ubiquitous, meaning it's it's found everywhere. So I don't think, in my opinion, that doesn't explain the worldwide prevalence of autoimmune disease. Again, it's not, autoimmune disease is not ubiquitous. It's not 90% of people. It can be found everywhere, but it's not as prevalent as Epstein-Barr virus. Uh, it does persist in the body. And its activation, reactivation does correlate with autoimmune flare. So when this Epstein-Barr virus does reactivate, it does correlate with autoimmune flare. So it is true that, and that's the gray area with this is just because you have it, a lot of people have it. Why is it a problem in you? Well, if you have autoimmune disease, if you have immune dysregulation, that's why. If you have immune suppression, then that can allow this virus to reactivate. Uh, There are cases certainly where infection with Epstein-Barr virus, primary infection, precedes the development of autoimmune disease um, and symptoms. So there is certainly some direct causation, um, you know, and it has the capacity to alter immune response, and when it infects B cells, okay, B cells release antibodies, and those antibodies, uh, you know, can induce autoimmune disease or can be associated with autoimmune disease. So, um, and some of the Epstein-Barr virus, uh, even the antigens, have been shown to cross-react with human tissue uh, as well. So, those are some of the mechanisms by which EBV can be associated with the onset or the exacerbation of autoimmune disease. Now, when we test this, there's a few things that, that can be tested. And so if you've had this tested, you know, sometimes the testing is a little bit interesting because sometimes the numbers can be crazy, 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 crazy high. But that doesn't mean that you have a primary infection or an active infection. It means you have a chronic Infection, and again, that's very, very common. You could also have, you know, normal level elevated antibodies that aren't that high. When it's fi- at least five times higher than, than, you know, normal reference range, it, it indicates a chronic infection. But there's, a, there's def- several different antigens and antibodies that can be tested. So there's uh, Epstein Barr virus nuclear antigen, there's a viral capsid antigen. Um, and, and, but what you want to look for, and a lot of these are IgGs, that's a chronic. Um, An IgM would be like a, a newer primary infection, primary infection, or an early antigen. Early antigen, even the IgG, early antigen is a sign of reactivation. So that gets confusing, you know, if you don't have labs in front of you. But if you have an early antigen and an IgM of anything else, then you've got a primary infection. Your first time getting it, this is a primary infection. If you have an early antigen and no other igms then you have a reactivation and so i'll I'll see this sometimes i'll see this you know actually oftentimes and it's hard to tell but what people feel like again they feel like they have mono but not as bad they feel like they got hit by a truck they feel like their lymph nodes are swollen they feel like they have flu-like symptoms they might feel body aches um and, and they often feel like that you know regularly you know like six times a year or every month or like they they always feel like that and they don't really know why they don't get influenza they don't they don't vomit they don't they might have a low-grade fever but it's not like your typical sickness but they have bouts that are like sickness and so when we see this you know i see it in uh i had a you know 22 year old recently that we've, we found this in and, and different things um so yeah, the, uh, I also there's also uh, foods that can cross react with Epstein Barr virus antibodies and, and kind of keep that process going and that's a big deal too. I'm not going to talk about them, but I do have a video on my clinic's YouTube channel. It's kind of old, but it's it's foods that cross react with Lyme and Epstein Barr antibodies. And sometimes I'll see these foods on food sensitivity tests and think, oh my gosh. This person has EBV or this person has Lyme because they're reacting to like lamb and almond and chicken or whatever the the foods are. But anyway, so that's a lot about Epstein-Barr virus. I'd say that another thing is, is that it's internet famous. You know, there are famous internet personalities with big followings that swear that Epstein-Barr virus is the cause of all chronic symptoms and things like that. And that's just far from the case. Um, in reality, you know, it's it's a possibility that it's involved oftentimes because I think that, again, a lot of times we see these things run together. So if somebody has Lyme or somebody has mold and it's suppressed the immune system, then it can allow for the exacerbation of polymicrobial infections. And that includes things like Epstein-Barr virus or uh, recurrent uh, cold sores, or you know, uh, just other recurrent shingles, or HHV, or whatever the case is, but recurrent viral reactivations is a big problem. But usually, if we see those, we got to think why. And even in that twenty-two-year-old I just mentioned, it's mold that was suppressing the immune system, uh, and that was allowing Epstein-Barr virus to reactivate. And he felt like hey, he got hit by a truck. About once a month, uh, for for the last year. So anyway, that's a lot about Epstein Barr virus, but it's also at the same time not even scratching the surface. Um, there's several. There's lots of good papers out there. If you if you want any of them, let me know. I mean, I'll send you the the full script uh, paper, uh, full text rather. Um, but yeah, there is a lot of info out there. Oh, I will say too that EBV is most associated with MS, and. Um, Shoot, I, uh, uh, thyroid, thyroid certainly. So, like, here's some things with thyroid that that you know it's certainly there's a, a lot of associations with Graves because of TAS, TSH receptors, um, and and with Hashimoto's. Um, so, and there's also some other associations like rheumatoid arthritis. That's another big one, and those three are just the most well researched. Um, but yeah, those are the big three: is the MS. RA, and uh, autoimmune thyroid disease, Um, but there are other associations, you know, in in the research and in the literature. But let's move on. Let's go on to Lyme. So, I think that Lyme, personally, gets the most press and publicity. It's the least understood, and it's the most, I would say, controversial. It's the hardest to confirm. Lyme is certainly related to autoimmunity, Uh, but not that much, really, but specifically thyroid autoimmunity, RA, as well as your neurological manifestations um, and it can damage neural tissue which can lead to autoimmune disease it can also damage uh, joint tissue which can lead to further autoimmune disease but really regardless of autoimmune diseases, Lyme can jack people up immunologically um, but again it is it is it is controversial because a lot of times the testing is really 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 hard to confirm like To meet the CDC testing guidelines of a positive IgG and then a Western blot with more than five IgG bands present or three IgM bands present, I think is the criteria, Uh, it's hard. You know, it very, very, very rarely happens. Um, There are further testing, but it's also – I think that that's uh, one of the things that makes it confusing, I think that's also one of the things that makes uh, practitioners prey on that because it it can jack people up. So we see people with these jacked up symptoms that have profound fatigue, profound pain, profound joint, joint pain, profound symptoms, and they can easily be told it's Lyme. And I think that that's very, very, very hard to confirm or deny, which makes me very skeptical. But I also... Know that Lyme can really jack people up too, so I'm, I'm, you know, not opposed to to that diagnosis, of course. But again, I think that all things need to be considered if that's the case. So one of the things that Lyme can do is it can evade the immune system. It can activate Th17, and let's talk about this. So Lyme disease is caused by Borrelia burgdorferi, which is the bacteria that uh, is spirochete that gets in from tick bites so a lot of times with tick bites or in tick endemic areas like the midwest where i'm at further north up into wisconsin is even more so over to the east to pennsylvania maine the northeast big lime endemic areas uh pacific northwest as well um big lime endemic areas even up into canada um and and yeah where there's a lot of tick and deer deer ticks there's other there's other Co-infections with Lyme, there's other uh, different, you know, related things. Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, um, um, Babesia, Bartonella, Ehrlichia, you know, different co-infections. But I'm just talking about Lyme right now. So, again, Lyme is very famous, but it, it, and it is a big deal. And it has a preference for the joints, so it can burrow into joints and connective tissues. has a preference for the heart, so it can cause myocarditis. Um, and has a, a preference for neurologic tissues that, you know, results in a lot of just arthritis problems, um, RA and, and otherwise. And so Lyme, again, there's a few things that it can do. First of, all, it's very inflammatory. So it activates TH17, which is tissue-damaging autoimmune inflammation. So it could certainly exacerbate any other autoimmune disease. Um, and it can persist for a long time, and it can also evade the immune system and disrupt um, Th1 and Th2 balance and evade, you know, just kind of pathogen surveillance, which can allow for other things to then proliferate and can allow for just a further exacerbation of inflammation. The other thing that I want to mention that I should have mentioned sooner, but Epstein-Barr virus is a virus. Lyme and mold Are biotoxic, so the that's the other thing that Lyme does is it by nature has effects that are toxic as well, meaning that you have to detoxify with Lyme disease. So Lyme is, uh, you know, one of the common things with Lyme too. The top three rules of Lyme, according to uh, gosh, what's his name? Shoot, Richard Horowitz, maybe. are that Lyme is a clinical diagnosis, that you need to detoxify, 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 and that you need to decrease inflammation, inflammation, inflammation. So, very similar to autoimmune disease. So, that's why they often run in the same circles or in the same conversations. Um, but yeah, so, so Lyme is biotoxic, meaning it has effects on the immune system, or, or rather on the detoxification systems, and especially on like the lymphatic systems. Lyme will slow down lymph drainage. It can, biotoxins can uh, clog or affect the bile duct and bile flow, things like LPS, mycotoxins, um, par- parasites, Lyme, these biotoxic illnesses. And, and have profound effects on the pituitary and different things too that can affect you know, hormonal responses, um, cause immune changes, insomnia, just a myriad of different crazy symptoms from biotoxins. So Lyme and mold are both biotoxins. Lyme can cause molecular mimicry with tissue um, and lead to, again, tissue damage because it's a burrower that can then lead to autoimmunity. And there's a lot of uh, just neurologic effects. Oh, this is what made me think of the biotoxic thing too. Lyme can affect glutathione um, pathways and glutathione S-transferases. And then that affects your ability to detoxify. So with Lyme, it could suppress the immune system and allow for other pathogens. And it can block glutathione and, and, and allow for other toxic accumulations. And then affect things like methylation pathways, clearance of of toxic uh, xenobiotics, but also clearance of toxic estrogens, things like that, affect the liver, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So anyway, Lyme can jack you up. (laughs) That's the takeaway. But last is mold. I think that mold is the worst. I am a mold guy. I'm a mold expert. But I tell everybody that I see. I say I don't want to be. I don't want to be an expert on anything. I want to be unbiased. And to a man with a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So, and I'll tell somebody. I'll be completely honest. You know, I'm I'm, I'm brutally honest and can just you know I just blabber like I do on this podcast in my consults. Even I just I just tell everybody my thoughts because that's that's my job is to just tell them. Hey, this is what I think is going on. but I'll say, hey, I don't want to be a mold person, so I th- th- you look like a mold patient, but our goal today is to talk ourselves out of this. But as we look at all things possible, mold often, as other things fall off, as we check other things off the list, mold often sticks around. And mold is certainly associated with autoimmunity via several different mechanisms. Um, it drives T and B cell abnormalities. It drives immune abnormalities. It's immunosuppressant. Um, it's immunostimulant in certain ways. And, and it does it does multiple things, and that's kind of the problem. And it can drive a chronic inflammatory response syndrome. Um, so it's, it's crazy. And, and here's one of the reasons why. Again, when we talk about Lyme, we're talking about two things. We're talking about it as a pathogen and as a toxin. And same thing with mold. We're talking about it as a pathogen. So that's like mold overgrowth or fungal overgrowth. And so these really need to be two different conversations, mold and mycotoxins or fungal infection and mycotoxins. But mycotoxins are toxins that are released by mold infections, whether that mold infection is in your basement or that mold infection is in your gut or your sinuses um, or your breast implants, which is very possible. I, I had somebody uh, with that recently. Um, and, I, and I've had many people with that, actually. But um, so mold, let's go back. So it's very, very common. And again, so there's two different problems. So there's the mold overgrowth. So that overgrows on things like in hollow spaces, in the gut, in the sinuses, in the lungs, in the bladder, and on things like breast implants or surgical hardware, and it hides in things called biofilms, and those are inherently inflammatory to that tissue. so when we get inflammation in any of those tissues, it obviously leads to big problems and mold can also, because of that and because of other reasons, can cleave the tight junctions and the and the barriers. So it causes leaky gut, leaky lung, or leaky sinuses. So that's a big deal because that can lead. That opens the door to autoimmunity. You know, if the barrier systems are not intact, then the door is wide open for autoimmunity, for food sensitivities, for cross reactivities, uh, etc. So that's that's mold. that that again colonizes. So these are things like aspergillus, penicillium, stachybotrys. These are common indoor molds in your house. There's things like candida, fusarium, and different mold infections that are common in your body. And fungal and yeast infections like candida, that's, that's, you know, uh, it's the same family. But so let's also talk about that real quick. Candida is what's called an opportunistic infection. I mean, everybody has candida. We've got it in our mouth. We've got it in our vaginas, if you have one. We've got it in our stomachs. And it doesn't become a problem until there's an opportunity. So I had somebody I was with recently, and she, uh, you know, regretfully, I'm I, i, I I'm still like, oh, come on, you got to at least call me and ask me. But um, she went on an antibiotic and a steroid. And thrush, her candida just came roaring back. It's like, yeah, immunosuppressant and an antibiotic. And so this opportunity arose and this candida came roaring back that she's already had problems with that we've been beating back, but it, it was opportunistic. Now, these other ones like aspergillus, penicillin, stachybotrys, the way that I describe those, and I'll try to be quick here. Because I, I don't want to take the whole time. I'll do another podcast on mold. I got tons of info on mold. But the way that I describe these spores is that it's like a dandelion. that If I take a dead dandelion and I blow it into my parking lot, that's made out of concrete, obviously, nothing's going to happen. But if I take that dandelion and blow it across my street where there's an open field, it, there's going to be a field of dandelions next year because it's found a good place to grow. And the same thing is true with these molds that are in your house, that are in your basement, that are in water-damaged buildings, that have been remediated water-damaged buildings, that get stirred up when you do renovations, That all those things. When you breathe those in or when you swallow those from your food or from your airborne environment, if they like where they've landed, they will colonize. So they will colonize the sinuses. They will colonize the gut. They like dark moist, warm places like crawl spaces and basements and behind walls and attics and sinuses, guts, lungs, bladders, etc. So that's mold and mold colonization. Then mold, whether it's colonized in your basement in your crawl space or it's colonized in your sinuses or your gut, releases mycotoxins. So mycotoxins Damage mitochondria, they're neurotoxic. They disrupt the microbiome. So mold again, going back to mold or fungal growth, that's going to cause more of like a TH2 response because it's inflammation in hollow spaces, a TH17 response, because TH17 it kills fungus, that's a fungal response. And that's problematic for autoimmunity. But mycotoxins are toxic, they're neurotoxic, they damage the brain, they damage the mitochondria, they disrupt the microbiome, uh, and they really, really jack things up. So, mold also triggers mast cells through both the innate immune system and the adaptive immune system. So does Lyme. Um, But yeah, that's another problem that it triggers toll-like receptors, which is an innate immune response. And it's inflammatory in a massive way. And it also triggers the adaptive immune system. You can develop mold sens- allergies like true allergies or, or IgG chronic uh, antibody-mediated sensitivities. So sometimes you just have runaway inflammation from the innate immune system. Sometimes you have allergies and allergies to your whole world like foods, pollen, fragrances, mold-consensitized mast cells mold can lead to antibody production, mold disrupts mitochondria, Um, mycotoxins, many mycotoxins are immunosuppressive, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And okay, so associated with autoimmune thyroid diseases, associated with ANAs or systemic diseases like lupus or mixed connective tissue disease, associated with neurological autoimmunities um, and uh, liver autoimmunities. And autoimmune inner ear disease. Whoa. So that's a lot. Like a lot of that was just off the top of my head. So uh, just looking at the time, like that, that's a lot of info. So those are the big three. And I'd say that again, what I see clinically, sometimes I think that it's mold and it's not, and it's Epstein Barr or it's Lyme. Sometimes I, I think that it's Epstein Barr and it's not it's something else, you know, recurrent flu-like sicknesses or it's mold or something. But again, these are the three most common. You throw something in there, like, I don't, I don't find that heavy metals are, are as common with, with autoimmunity, um, but mold is, is probably the number one. Again, out of, uh, out of it, it's crazy. I mean, it's seriously, it's crazy that so often, not only do the, the symptoms match up, but the history matches up too. And again, it's never the only thing. But it'll be like, oh, yeah, in, in you know, 2015, we moved. And that's when all my symptoms started. It's like, oh, yeah, tell me where you moved to. Or it'll be like in, in you know, 2018, I was under a lot of stress. But I also you know, had, this, had this old house that I was living in. Or I also was living in this basement of my friend's house. Or, so it's often multiple things at once. But mold is just so, so common. And then what mold, mold can allow Lyme or Epstein-Barr to reactivate. So uh, I think that all three of those are a big deal. Um, and again, they're not always the the case either. There's a lot of other causes for chronic disease. So uh, that's my thing is don't put all your eggs into any one basket. But these are really, 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 really important baskets to consider. So leave us a rating. Leave us a review and stay tuned next time uh, another important topic that's that's really you know fairly associated with this and i yeah uh, i think you'll enjoy it so enjoy